Welcome, everyone. I'm Aidan Lang, the General Director, speaking to you today on The Flying Dutchman, Fliegende Hollander. We started the 1516 season with Verdi's young piece, Nabucco, and we're finishing it, bookend it, if you like, with Wagner's uh, Flying Dutchman. Both pieces were works which really provided the breakthrough for their composers. And in the case of Wagner and Flying Dutchman, it marked the first work in which we see opera as being something beyond just storytelling. It's very interesting to look at The Flying Dutchman from the audience's point of view. What is your role in the overall evening? This is quite a challenging piece, precisely because it works at many layers beyond simply that of, of its narrative. The audience has, has a part to play in the way the piece is interpreted, and that probably means that everybody who sees this production will get something very different out of it, depending on how each individual wants to engage with the work. The audience's response to a Wagner work has to be more than just working at a narrative level, because he imbued his works with numerous ideas which he expected you as an audience member to connect with in some way. What's it about? Fundamentally, this is an opera about two characters, the, the Dutchman and Senta. Even the former boyfriend, Eric, exists as a secondary level to those two characters. It is about this strange meeting, this longing for redemption on the one part of Dutchman and the longing to redeem on the part of Senta. So these two characters are destined to come together. At the heart, it's the yearning for peace and salvation which drives the Dutchman every seven years to find his knight in port in the hope that he'll find a woman whose undying love for him will lift the curse which rests on him. And in the case of Senta, a strange character whose mission in life, whose expressed purpose seems to be to find a solution to this mythical character's dilemma. Both characters are, in their way, outsiders. So I think Dutchman is a good choice for first-time Wagnerians. You know, it is shorter. It lasts about maybe two hours, 20 minutes or so, which is about the length of a slightly longer feature film. But it is an opera which does move in a more conventional narrative sense than, say, Tristan, much later on. It has the famous overture, which will be familiar to people. It's got much more overtly tonal musical style as well. So I think there's, you know, people who think Wagner's music is difficult and swirling around in a seemingly unstructured manner have nothing to fear here because the musical numbers are more clearly defined as such. For me, my first Wagner moment was indeed The Flying Dutchman. My mother worked for Decca, which is London Records here in the States. She was able to get a hearty discount on classical recordings, which Decca produced. So I, at the age of, I must have been about eight, I guess, I decided I needed to listen to a Wagner opera, and The Flying Dutchman was the opera of my choice. Um, I liked the title. And I can remember to this day putting on my LP, it was the Antal Dorati recording with George London. And I remember putting it on and thinking, you know, I'll just dabble with this and absolutely going through the whole thing without stop. The two hours, 20 minutes passed in a flash. 
So that was my, my first encounter, and I listened to it very, very many times. I'm sure I wore the, <laughs> the LPs thin. And from then onwards, I was fairly hooked from a very, very early age. So I, th I think it's got a lot of, you know, good starting points to the overall Wagner experience. The flip side of that, of course, is uh, how the piece uh, appeals to experienced Wagnerians. I think what they see in it is the embryonic idea of a drama based on idea as much as narrative. And, of course, there are moments where we get glimpses of the harmonic language which is to come. So it's very much a transition work from his previous opera was a, a grand opera called Rienzi, written for the Paris Opera and very much in the grand French operatic style, which he then rejected. Wagner always said that he intended the work to be written as one span. He never saw that in his lifetime, and the first time it was done in the version without an interval was, I believe, in Bayreuth at the express command of Cosima, his wife. What interests me is the amendment to the score which Wagner made in the light of writing Tristan. I mean, he famously said that having written Tristan, he then knew how to complete Dutchman, musically how to express what he wanted to express with the final moments. We hear that at the very end of the overture and we hear it at the very end of the opera. But as soon as we move to the altered version with the new longer dramatic paragraphs, it's clear to me that with the musical amendments, the one-act version, the uninterrupted span version, is much more appropriate to that later musical version. What I think we gain from the uninterrupted span is the piece as a whole becomes tighter, and we then feel it much more within the tradition of works that we see later. Actually, the evening passes by very quickly, precisely because we have a sense of a piece as a whole rather than a story which needs a break from time to time. The piece gains immensely in terms of its momentum and its drive from using the uninterrupted span. This production, which originated at the Canadian Opera Company, is expressly designed to be performed without intermission. And Seattle Opera, in, in bringing this production to our public, are performing it without a break. But purely from a practical point of view, therefore, I would urge you on this example not to be late for the performance, and there won't be a bathroom break in the middle, so you know, please go to the bathroom before you take your seats. One question I think we should address, especially with this production in mind, is its location. Does it matter where this piece takes place? In the score, there is a stated setting of this community somewhere in Norway. However, is the piece really about that? No, I don't think it is. I think it's about its community, but to set it in that community in a very naturalistic way ceases to have the importance it would have had back in the 1840s. And I think this is a really important point because for Wagner, the work was not about its setting. It was about its meaning. And that's really what defines Wagner and makes him so interesting for us today and so ahead of his time 
as a dramatist. And the funny thing is that the theatre language, which got liberated in the post-Second World War years, especially through the work of Wieland Wagner, Bayreuth, gave to Wagner's works a new visual life, which Wagner would have said, yes, at last, something's happening. My works have been given a space I always intended, but didn't know how to express visually. And therefore, I think we need to respect productions which, in their own way and with their own visual language, attempt to allow us to see into the inner workings of the piece, rather than working strictly at a naturalistic narrative level. We see it very clearly with Centre, who lives on a completely different plane from those in which she interacts in her life at home. This community, first of all, it's men and it's women. Its men are out at sea and it's women. They work mending the nets, um, creating sails, sewing, providing the wherewithal for their men to go It's a very dangerous life at sea, which brings back trade and brings back the resources for the community to exist. Her father, Darland, is captain of the ship, but she has this boyfriend, Eric. He's a hunter, and he has a different existence. He's a sort of landlocked version of the resource gatherers, the hunters who go out to sea on on the merchant ship to bring back money through trade. And I see something in, in a difference between the romantic allure and the danger of the sea and someone who goes in completely the opposite direction, out in, into the forest, who, to, you know, whose life is not really romantic and who's very locked into a rather prosaic vision of what man and wife should be. All the other women in this community have husbands or lovers living this dangerous life, and Eric has the complete opposite. He's the stay-at-home. Although they are in a relationship, Senta's feelings go in completely the opposite direction. She's drawn not only by the passion and power of a sea, but also a figure who has challenged its power through his pact with the devil, if you like. He's the super sailor, the one who will not be beaten by nature. The Dutchman has taken this life right to the edge, to its ultimate. That's part of, I think, the allure of the Dutchman to Senta, as opposed to her boyfriend back on dry land. It's his desire to hang on to centre, which is important. It's his function in the story. The Dutchman, in overhearing a conversation between Eric and centre, it's that which sort of tips him over the edge, and he feels he's been betrayed. He's about to sail off, and centre goes after him. So there is a kind of triangle at place. Centre and the Dutchman are operating on such a higher level than Eric. Eric's function is to act as the catalyst to the denouement. There are certain links between Centre and her slightly unhinged nature and those heroines of the bel canto genre. Wagner hugely admired Bellini. The piece also draws on the slightly supernatural nature of some of the German operas, Marschner's The Vampire, Der Vampir, and, and of course Der Freischutz. Weber was a close family friend of Wagner's father. He used to come to Sunday lunch, apparently, and, and Wagner had a toy theatre which he used to play on with sets from Der Freischutz on it. He knew this tradition very well, and certainly there's a part of Dutchman which is writing in that supernatural tradition, a form of storytelling which is heightened and in which the hysteria, the heightened emotion of particularly the female protagonists plays a part in the audience's experience. 
We made a decision to bring to our stages a production by the internationally acclaimed American director, Christopher Alden. This production originated in the Canadian Opera Company in Toronto in 1996. It's been revived many, many times. Christopher, this isn't his debut at Seattle Opera. He presented a production of Don Giovanni in 1991, which I know Spate to this day claims is one of the finest things he feels Seattle Opera ever presented, even though it was controversial at his time. Now, 1996, we're at 2016. It would be wrong to claim this is an absolutely state-of-the-art thing because the production has been around for a time. Nonetheless, I think its power completely remains. Audiences now are more used to seeing a more abstracted view of opera. Now, a lot of people, when they think of a modern opera, just think in terms of modern dress. And for me, that's not what modern opera, a modern opera production is about at all. Many modern dress productions are simply addressing on a fairly straightforward reading of the work. For me, a modern production is one which brings the meaning from a simply subliminal level to be presented directly onto the stage, one which goes beyond its naturalistic framework and actually challenges us to think about what the piece is really about. Often it's claimed that Impressionism is the beginning of modern art. And what, what was happening there? That painters were going beyond the literal presentation of whatever the subject is, water lilies or, or a bridge or whatever, making our feelings more explicit. In other words, bringing our emotions to the forefront. And in a sense, that's exactly what happens with a modern production. It brings to the surface our thoughts, our feelings, and makes them more explicit rather than simply telling a story. Now, as I said earlier, Wagner, that's what he was trying to do with all his great works. He was asking us to feel and to think. For Flying Dutchman, I'm always taken by a similarity between this work and a poem by Coleridge, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. The Ancient Mariner ends with a statement which I think encapsulates what art is meant to be about. It's a long narrative poem written in rather deliberately obscure English in which a wedding guest encounters this sailor who's cursed and the obvious similarities with Dutchman. The poem ends with a final stanza by Coleridge in which the wedding guest is described as waking up the following morning, as Coleridge puts it, a sadder and a wiser man, a sadder and a wiser man. This man has undergone the experience of art. He's heard this compelling story, and he's gone through emotion and thought. And that is really the essence of the artistic experience, a marriage between emotion and thought. And some works veer more towards the thought side, and some works veer more towards simply emotion. And I think it's fair to say of Wagner that... We have to view his works with the thought element of that dichotomy very much at the forefront of our minds. And I think what Christopher's production of this, this opera does very strongly is make clear a number of ideas. Every director works in a different way. 
What I think is fascinating about Christopher's work is the way he doesn't hammer home a point. He allows you, the audience, a lot of space to make your own personal connection. He works as much by illusion as by statement. He hints at things. It may be a period, it may be a style, it may be a thought, but it still gives you, the audience, space to interpret that in your own way. And the range of his illusions is often quite broad. It may be a small design detail used just to suggest some historical basis, some incident or some emotion. The whole evening is somewhat like a collage with a number of different ideas and influences, all there to encourage you, the audience, to connect with the piece in a very personal way. Rather than saying, this is my version, my vision of the piece as an artist, and you will respond the way I want you to, Christopher gives us space to make our own ideas, to reject some of the ideas put on stage, and to accept others. He would be the first person to say, that's okay. And that's exactly why I think Wagner would have really loved this production because he was a man of so many ideas, often conflicting ideas. I mean, you, we see it very strongly in his writings as in his works. Wagner would have absolutely got this production precisely because it's not didactic, because it is so rich in its ideas and his works are so rich in their ideas. When people say to me, oh, no, it's not what the composer intended, my answer is always, actually, something like this is precisely what Wagner intended. Yes, it's not trying to replicate 1840s stagecraft or stage pictures. As I've said, this piece is not about that. This piece is about what is contained within. This production has many wonderful coups de théâtre, which I don't want to spoil for you. It's almost like a box of tricks. It's a stage set which does a number of things as required by the very scenes or the needs of a character. And at the same time works as a single space which contains its people. It suggests a very closed, conformist society which rejects those who don't accord with it. But at the same time, by the use of very expressive lighting, use of effect, it provides for an ever-changing visual picture. It's very, very striking to look at. The fact that it's constantly in a state of flux, reflecting the mood and state of the, of the character's journeys, makes for a very compelling evening in the theatre. Every piece has its own secrets. Part of my job is to find a creative team who will bring out the mysteries of that particular piece. It's absolutely not our intention here at Seattle Opera to make every piece the same. It's to give a huge variety of experiences to people. Here I am recording this podcast. This very afternoon, we're having a final presentation of the designs for our next production, Cantori. No two productions could be more dissimilar as to what you will experience here with Flying Dutchman as to what you will experience next season with Cantori. And what the team for Cantori have given is something which is completely appropriate to the zany fun of that piece and completely different to this very intense and serious opera and a very intense and serious reading of it. I love our audiences to have variety and in time to understand that what we're doing is curating an experience which is appropriate to each piece and 
every single piece has different needs. Of course, one side of this piece is the fantastic orchestral writing and the well, fantastic writing for the chorus. We have a big chorus for this piece. It's, I think we have 62 at last count. We need a split chorus for the Norwegian chorus and the Dutchman's chorus for Act 3. I think it's 38 men, slightly more men than, than women because of the vocal needs. But the choral writing and indeed the choral acting is a hugely compelling part of this opera, as indeed is the wonderful orchestral writing as well. The famous overture, of course, gets us off onto a great start. It's a very challenging work for the singers as well. I have a personal theory that probably this piece in the 1840s would have been performed a notch lower than modern pitch. I remember the singer who sang Dutchman for me in New Zealand about three years ago, two years ago, saying that I think it's got something like 65 toppy naturals. Eric lies high center lies high. All three roles are very much on the edge of their voices, which of course adds to that excitement as well. It gives this very thrilling vocal experience because all the singers are thinking, oh my God, another toppy coming, but here we go, I've got to do it. So it makes for a very exciting evening and one which really flies past. You know, I, I've said how we're performing without interval, but honestly, just like a, an engaging movie, this opera is over before you know where you are because its drive is so relentlessly onward. And we're very pleased to feature Sebastian Lang-Lessing who made his debut at the wonderful gala concert for Spate when he retired. To give an experienced Wagnerian the opportunity to conduct a production here was one we didn't really want to pass up. He has a real sense of drama in what he does and of momentum. So I think we're in for musically for a very thrilling evening indeed. So to close, I like to think that, you know, harking back to my eight, nine-year-old self, when I set out on an adventure by putting my LPs on the turntable to listen to this piece and being blown away by its verve and its drive, that's what I hope that our first-time Wagnerians will experience with it, be amazed at its energy and its passion and its fascinating look at the depth of the human psyche. And experienced Wagnerians who may not know this production will be taken by its seriousness of purpose and its extraordinary and compelling theatricality combined with risk-taking and the clear evidence of a very serious mind at work behind it.